Mr. Gates might help make a difference. And after Bill Gates left, a journalist who was there stayed behind and asked the woman, did she realize that she had just been talking to the richest man in the world? And no doubt the journalist was impressed and thought that the woman would be too. But the woman just shrugged. <laughs> she was unfazed. She said, everybody who visits from the West is rich. As far as she con she's concerned, we are all the same. So how would you say you compare with Bill Gates financially? His net worth is um, $76 billion. Yours is slightly less than that, right? But I want to suggest to you something this morning, that in terms of our opportunities, in terms of the comforts, uh, the material things that we enjoy, things like education, clean water, air conditioning, technology, all of these things, the difference between us and Bill Gates is smaller than the difference between us and the average person living in a third world country. Because by global standards, we are rich, my friends. We are rich. We live in the richest nation, in the richest time in the history of the world. We are wealthier than any other people that have ever existed on this planet. Now, having financial resources is not a bad thing in itself. It can be a wonderful blessing, right? And it can do a lot of good in the world. The challenge is very few of us actually believe that we are rich. We read the words from Timothy, from Paul to Timothy this morning, and it starts off, command those who are rich in this present world. And we think, oh, cool, okay, they're talking to someone else. That's not me. I'll just skip over those verses and move on with the rest of the chapter. That must be meant for someone else because I'm not rich. I'm not rich. And the reason that so few of us believe we're rich is because all of us know someone who is richer, right? So I will tell you, me, Pastor Brad, I'm not rich. My uncle, now he's rich. He has a big house by the lake. He's got two jet skis and a pontoon boat, and he's got a pool table and all, the whole works. And if you ask my uncle, are you rich? He'll tell you, no, I'm not rich. He'll tell you, the guy down the street who has the helicopter, he's rich. And if you ask the guy with the helicopter, are you rich? He'll say, no, I'm not rich. The guy who owns this whole resort, he's rich. And on and on it goes. A Gallup poll was conducted to see how people from different socioeconomic groups defined the idea of rich. Now, as Americans, we don't agree on very much, but this is one thing we can all agree on. None of us are rich. None of the respondents said in the survey that they were rich. In fact, they all said the same thing. To them, rich meant making about double of what they were currently making. In other words, if you make $20,000 a year, rich is someone who makes 40. And if you make $50,000 a year, rich is someone who makes 100. So rich is an imaginary line that we will never cross. It's a moving target. It's always just a little bit out of reach, and it's relative. Rich means those who have more than we do. And we've lost our ability to recognize that we are rich. We are rich. So let's look at some real numbers for just a moment. For example, if I offered you a job with a salary of $37,000 a year, would you feel rich? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. 
that would represent a pay cut for a lot of the people in this room, right? But for nearly everyone else in the world, this would represent a significant increase. Now, you may find this surprising. I found it extraordinary. It's true. If you make $37,000 a year or more, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Top 4%. If you earn $48,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Just get your head around that for a moment. My friends, by global standards, we are incredibly rich. We have so much wealth in this country and in this church, for, for uh, instance. So why am I trying so hard to convince you that you're rich? Well, please understand what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm really not. Now, I'm not above that, and I'll do that another day. But I'm not trying to do that today. Here's the reason. Because guilt will motivate you, but only for a short time, right? Guilt motivates us for a very short time, but I'm trying to motivate you for a long time. I'm trying to help shift and change the entire rest of your life on this earth. And so what I am trying to make you feel is grateful. I want you to feel grateful today for the blessings that you enjoy because grateful people are generous. Grateful people are generous. Grateful people acknowledge the reality of their blessings. Grateful people are quick to say thank you to God. Grateful people are quick to share what they have with other people. Welcome to our October sermon series. We're calling it How to Be Rich. Now please notice, this series is not called How to Get Rich. That is another sermon and another series and another church. There are plenty of people out there who would love to tell you how to get rich. I'm not interested in that. And you know why not? Because I'm convinced that we already are rich. And so my goal is to help us be good at it. I want to help us be good at being rich. Because here's the truth, my friends. People who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are rich. People who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are rich. One of the richest people I have ever known in my life is a man named Mr. Pat. And not because he has a lot of money, he really doesn't, uh, but because he shares freely what he has with other people. Mr. Pat is a sweet and gentle 80-something-year-old man, and he belongs to one of the churches that I have served. Pat is a retired missionary. And if you know anything about missionaries, you know they don't make a whole lot of money. And you know retired missionaries especially do not make a lot of money. And yet Pat is one of the most generous people I have ever known. He not only gives 10% in the plate every Sunday faithfully, but he also gives when one of his brothers or sisters is in need. And he will come to the leaders of the church and say, if you know of someone who needs help, let me know. I would like to be able to help financially. And so one time a church member needed transportation, needed a car. Their other car had broken down. And so Mr. Pat paid half the cost for that car. Now it was a used car, but Mr. Pat came up with $1,500 to help pay for that. Now, that is an impressive figure when you look at the reality of his financial situation, his very, very limited income. So how was he able to do that? How was he able to come up with that sum of money on top of what he gives in the plate every Sunday after Sunday? Here's how he does it. Because he believes he's rich. 
You see, Mr. Pat believes he's rich. He will tell you, I have a loving family. I have a great church. I have a Lord who loves me, who has saved my soul. And that's enough. He'll tell you that is enough for him. He is grateful all the time. He's aware every day of the blessings that come to him from his heavenly Father. And his hope is not in riches, but in God who continues to provide for him. My friends, remember, people who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are, in fact, rich. So let's assume for just a moment, just for the sake of argument, let's assume that we're rich. Let's assume that this letter from Paul to Timothy is also meant for us. What do we need to know? Let's look at this together. Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is the letter from Paul, the senior church leader, to Timothy, the junior church leader, instructions to Timothy about how Timothy is to instruct the church. And Paul has a special word for those with financial resources. I wanted to suggest to you that Paul understands something about money. Paul understands that money does something to us. Money has power in our lives. It has the potential to uh, make us believe that we're better than we really are. It has the potential to become a false source of hope for us. Let me show you what I mean. Paul said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth. So let's start with the first one first. Let's talk about arrogance the definition of arrogance is having an inflated sense of self-worth. And it's easy to see why rich people would be tempted this way, right? When your net worth is inflated, your self-worth can also become inflated. Human nature tells us that we are measured by what we own, right? It started back in middle school. Or back in high school, do you remember? When you had to have the right shoes or you just had to have the right jacket or you had to drive the right kind of car in order to be the kind of person that you wanted to be. And to some extent, those attitudes carry over from youth into adulthood so that now, even as adults, when we only have a little, we may feel little. And when we have much, we may feel like, oh, we're so very, very important. And money makes people feel smarter and more competent and better looking. And knowing that someone is wealthy makes us more attracted to them. It's true. Have you ever seen the TV show Mythbusters before? It's a great show. Uh, they blow up stuff. They do science experiments. A lot of fun. If you've never seen it, I encourage you to check it out. So they did this experiment on this show called Mythbusters. And they did an experiment to test the attractiveness of people. And so they showed photos of men to women, and they showed photos of women to men, and they asked the people to rate the attractiveness of the person in the picture. And next to the photo of each person, they listed that person's occupation, which they just made up for the sake of the experiment. But what they found was, when the picture stayed the same, but when the profession changed, say from bartender to surgeon, that person's attractiveness went up. We are attracted to money, right? It makes us seem more attractive than we really are. 
Not only can it make us arrogant, money has this way of tempting us to put our hope in wealth. You know, it's like the Death Star pulling in the Millennium Falcon with the tractor beam. You know, it just it pulls you in. Money has this power, this gravitational pull in our lives. Now, Paul knew about this, which is why he said, command the rich not to put their hope in riches. He knew about this tendency that we have as human beings. He knew about the power of money to charm us, to make us believe in the illusion of self-sufficiency. And money speaks to us. You've heard it talk to you, right? Hey there, my friend. (laughs) It's me, that $20 bill in your pocket. Isn't it great to have me around? I am money. I am power. Together we can rule the world. (laughs) Okay, maybe not rule the world, but don't you feel so much better having me around? Me and all of my buddies right here in your pocket. It's such a sense of security and protection. Paul said, command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. My friends, we know this, don't we? Wealth is uncertain. Paul urges us not to put our hope in wealth because the truth is money comes and money goes. One day you have a job, the next day you lose your job. One day your stock portfolio looks great, the next day the market crashes. And we've all been there. It's one thing to have hope and have riches. It's another thing to have hope in riches. Paul said, command them not to put their hope in riches, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so I want to invite you this month to make this your mantra. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. Say that with me. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. So I want to confess something to you this morning. It is my deepest desire as your pastor that when you hear a sermon at Timberlake, as you walk out of this room, you will not say, well, wasn't that lovely? A lovely sermon today. But instead, you will say, I have to do something. I have to do something now with my life different because of the Gospel message that I heard this morning. Every good sermon leads us to the next step in our faith. It leads us to the now what? So let's say for a moment, just for the sake of argument, that you actually believe that you're rich. Let's say that you are persuaded of the dangers of trusting, of hoping in riches. Let's say that you've decided to hope in God instead, who richly provides you with everything that you need. Now what? Now what? Now what do we do with this knowledge? Well, I want to suggest there are two ways this morning that you can respond in faith. And here's the first. In the mail this week, we hope that you received a letter from our stewardship team. Enclosed with that letter is a pledge card, and it looks just like this. Now, if you did not receive that letter this week, please let us know. Estelle has extras, and catch her after the service. Uh, There are also extra pledge cards in the pew rack in front of you. We hope that everyone received one of these and that you will take this as an opportunity to talk with people you trust and to talk with God about what is your commitment of financial giving for the coming year. 
So we hope that you will fill this out and then bring it back to worship on October 16th. October 16th is going to be I Love My Church Sunday. That's going to be an opportunity for us to celebrate all the many blessings that God has given to us here at Timberlake Church. And we're going to come and bring our pledge cards and we're going to drop them in the basket as a sign of our commitment to God and to this church. And I hope that you will participate with us. That is one wonderful way that we can live out our mantra. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. And the second way is this. Beginning next Sunday, we are inviting you to participate in our Timberlake $10 challenge. Our Timberlake $10 challenge. We are asking every family at Timberlake to give an extra $10 each week from now through the end of the year. So no matter what your current level of giving is, we're inviting you to give $10 more every week. You may know our giving has been down some this year. And we believe that all of our ministries are so important that we want to fund every last one of our ministries. And you are the ones who make that possible. And so we have an opportunity now. We have an opportunity to fund our entire ministry for 2016. And if you would give an extra $10 every week, you can help us to meet our commitments. For the price of just two Starbucks coffees, you can make a huge difference in the life of this church and in the lives of our neighbors. My friends, I think you'll agree with me that rich is an attitude. Rich is an attitude. It has so much less to do with what's in our bank accounts and so much more to do with how grateful we are for God's blessings, how willing we are to share those blessings, and how committed we are to live out these words of Paul. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. Let all God's people say amen.